0: Uh, So good morning, everyone. Hello and welcome to another episode of Honor Redefined, where we hold open discussions about the adventures and experiences of womanhood. I am your host, Ariana Williams. And in this episode today, we will be chatting with Felicia Fabless. Welcome, Felicia.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Excited to be here.
0: Good. So Felicia identifies with the pronouns she and her. She is 24 years old and in her third year as a law student at the University of Baltimore School of Law. So how did you end up at the University of Baltimore School of Law? What was important about that particular school for you?
1: Um, so it's kind of twofolded. Number one, I received a scholarship to go. So You know, that definitely makes it a little easier in terms of the decision-making process. But I only ended up getting that scholarship because of where I went to undergrad. So um, I went to Bowie State University. I graduated in 2018. Um, I came in undecided because I really was just so interested in so many different things. And and I just loved learning. And so I didn't know where I wanted to major in in the least bit. But, um, you know, 2014 was the same year that Darren Wilson wasn't indicted for killing Mike Brown and um you know I remember that decision coming out and you know I was I received a scholarship to also go to Bowie and so I was on the honors forum. we were really um really close in it and I just remember like just being so solemn like on our hallway and people being so angry and our SGA at the time held like a protest regarding it and I just remember like in that moment when we were like marching like up the street like in the middle of this highway I just remember thinking I absolutely need to go into the field of law like wow. I need to be some kind of change agent um, to be able to keep things like this from happening less really advocate um, for for minority communities and their civil rights and so it's like I absolutely need to go to law school and um, I was a resident assistant at the time and well not what I when I started going when I started the whole you know thing about going to law school things like that um, I became a history and government major and then Um, When I was a resident assistant, I met someone who was in this program called the Fannie Angelos program, which is hosted at the University of Baltimore. And um, she was like, you know, if you're interested in going to law school, you should consider um, applying to this program because, you know, it's only for Maryland HBCU students. Um, They'll give you free LSAT training, free LSAT prep. All you have to do is meet the national average, which is a 152 on the LSAT, and they'll give you a full ride scholarship to go to the University of Baltimore. And so. I applied my senior year because I was kind of putting it off. Um, I applied my senior year. Um, I did pretty well on the LSAT. I got the score I needed and I got the um, fluoride scholarship. So, um, you know, part of me wanted to get out of Maryland, but having the opportunity um, to still kind of be somewhere where I do want to settle down eventually um, and learning about the community, especially because the legal community is so small in Maryland. Um, you know, I, I really think this is the best decision was going there. And I'm appreciative of the opportunity for sure.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, so for you, your passion really came out of some, um, a tragedy, right? Like some, like yes. not having justice be served. And so it was right. like, I, if, if no one else can do it, then I need to be the one to try and make something happen. Um, and so Absolutely. I, and I think that that's really important. Cause I also think that a, a lot of times, you know, I don't, I don't think many people look back about and think about it, but like a lot of, passionate things come as a result of tragedy which yes. is saddening because it would just be nice if it wasn't like that right <laughs> but um, <Yeah. laughs> you know of course like that's that's sometimes what has to happen for us to make that change and be effective in whatever we're going to do in the future now for you do you feel like the concept of justice and um, you know supporting people in that manner has that always been a part of you like you know and this kind of I guess makes the transition of like your own personal story of womanhood but you know like was that always a part of your mission?
1: I would say that it is and it is tied a lot to kind of my um, my development like with womanhood and in my womanhood um, because when I was younger, so, cause I'm an, I'm originally, I'm a military brat, but, so I was born in Texas, but um, I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina, cause that's like where I lived the longest, like where the most, most of my like formidable years were and really developing like the type of person I am. But before that I actually lived in Maryland. So things are kind of full circle for me because like being back in Maryland now, and this was like the first place I remember living um, cause I didn't live in Texas for too long. So, um, you know, for when I was younger I went to Odinson Christian School so we had uniforms and you know of course that meant like the girls were wearing skirts the guys were wearing slacks um and I never really had a sense of autonomy when it came to like choosing what I wanted to wear and um you know showing up and presenting myself how I want to present myself yeah. and so after we moved and I stopped going to um, a private school uh, when I finally started going to a public school my mom was like okay you know you can choose what you want to wear and like pick out what, you want, what clothes you want to put on and for me, I really enjoyed being comfortable. Like I didn't like tight clothes, I didn't like skirts. I felt like they kind of like limited my movement. So I was always wearing like basketball shorts and like these t-shirts and you know, something I can run around in and get dirty and rough house whatever the case may be. And um, like during that time, you know, cause I was about like, when I really started first being able to choose like what I wanted to wear and stuff, I was around like six or seven. Yeah. Um, and then during that time I started being misgendered a lot, you know? Um, I remember like one of like the, one of the earliest memories of me being misgendered. I remember I went to my mom's job, and um, she had a coworker who had came up to me and my sister, and she was like, "Oh, Andrea, I thought Andrea had two daughters." She was like, "But you're just like you're talking about my sister." She's like, "You're the cutest little girl." She started talking to me. She's like, "You're the cutest little boy, like just so adorable," and I was just like, "Thank you, like huh?" Um, and i and I told my mom about it, and like I was like my mom was like, you know, you should stand up for yourself. She was like, you know, you you never want. Um, someone to make you feel uncomfortable, um, you know, you can tell them that you're a girl, and it wouldn't be considered rude, it wouldn't be, you know, because I was concerned about not coming off as rude, or disrespectful, mm-hmm. you know, you're someone to do you a compliment, you say thank you, and keep it pushing, so, yeah, um, that just kept happening, like, the misgendering, and um, for me, it, it was, you know, I know how small it made me feel, and I didn't want other people to feel that, and so, I really, like, wanted to be a champion for people who, who maybe might feel small by, some, you know, by someone else and, and really wanted to stick up for like the little guy in a sense. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's really kind of like where my journey with womanhood starts is people not even acknowledging for the first several years of my life. I would say maybe until I was like 14 or 15 that I stopped getting misgendered because like every time we moved, I wanted to try even harder to appear more feminine, you know? And so wow. when uh, we first moved to North Carolina, like I remember like, I was like, okay, This is, you know, a chance for me to present myself in a more feminine manner. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, that was just like wearing like a little bit of a tighter shirt, but I was still wearing basketball shorts because I wanted to feel comfortable. Um, And I won't forget, like literally on the first day of class when I had, um, like said here, like for my name and this boy turned to his friend and like I could hear him because he was sitting like diagonal for me. So I'm like, bro, what? He turned to his friend, he's like, I thought that was a guy and I'm like, okay, like, clearly what I'm trying to do hasn't worked. And I was, you know, luckily for me, I was kind of, I was witty. <laughs> I always, you know, had like comebacks. So I think people were really drawn to me for my personality. Um, such because like, at that time I like messed up teeth and like, you know, this wasn't like what the epitome of like a pretty woman is, or just mm-hmm. like, a, like, you know cute or beautiful, like little girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know I just was always trying to reinvent myself and um, just the way that I felt, I know I never wanted other people to feel that way. And so, um, I was always like, you need to get justice for the little people, the people who feel yeah. uncomfortable in their skin, the people who don't feel as though they're seen as the way that they're trying to present themselves to the world. And, you know, even the people who are, and, and again, being in North Carolina, it's all due racism and then dealing with that. So I'm just like, more people need to be speaking up in defense of others. So that passion really just kind of carried me into what I'm doing today, you know, at yeah. 24. So yeah, stayed with me.
0: Wow. Like, so for you, again, not even so much the concept of tragedy, but like your stuff is really born out of this like experience of, I don't want anybody to feel the things I've had to feel. And so I'm going to take my strength that I've gained from that and try to motivate others and support others and really be a leader in my community. Um, I kind of wonder, so you made mention that like you felt um, like you were really witty. Was that something that you felt like was that just like a characteristic of who you were or was that something you felt like, like I needed to be witty, like I had to gain this characteristic so I could um, kind of stave off some of that, that those blows and attacks that I may have been having um, from these people who were not aware or were ignorant to their own, you know, biases.
1: Um, I think it's actually a little bit of both because I've just kind of always been a jokester, like even like in my family, like I was just, always to me and like to others, like I always like, I always enjoyed making people laugh. Um, And especially like growing up with like cousins around my age and I have a sister who's about a year and a half older than me. You know, we're always like joking and picking, like picking fun of each other, but like not anything too like personal. So it was kind of just in like the family dynamic of how like we interact with each other. And I just carried that um, into the the real world. But, you know, I wanted to make sure um, in a sense, even though it was who I am, I did, I was able to use it as a defense mechanism In terms of like, if people had something smart to say, oh, I'm gonna say something smarter and I'm gonna hit you harder. Like I'm gonna, like, (laughs) I remember in um, sixth grade, like I had like this really close friend. Um, His name was, well, I'm not gonna mention names, but I had a really close friend and he had introduced me to one of his friends. And at this time, again, like I used to not have like straight teeth. Um, It was before I got braces and everything. And he introduced me to him. And I remember like the first thing that came out of his mouth, I've never met this man before. Like, he was like, what happened to your teeth? What? And I was like, right, right, I was like, actually, they tried to run away when they saw you. And unfortunately, they didn't all go in the same direction. Like, <laughs> and so it was like, if you're coming at me, oh, best believe I'm going to come for you. Like, <laughs> ten what? times harder. so, you know, I did use that as a defense mechanism. I was able to help me think quick on my feet. If people did have anything like insulting to say, um, you know, like I don't I wasn't someone who wanted to like pick fights with people. But it's like, okay, if you have something to say, I'm going to definitely say something back. Like, no
0: question about it. Dude, like who (laughs) even, who says something like that? Like, what do I ever know? But it's like, (laughs) you know, sometimes I think I get, I think sometimes I'm surprised. Like I know what I've been through, you know, and like how kids have treated me. Mm -hmm. But then I guess in my head, sometimes I'm like, it, it it shouldn't be that further like it shouldn't go any further like kids shouldn't be this way you know and wherever they're right. raised <laughs> like we, that shouldn't happen you know and then when I hear these other stories and what other people go through I'm like god like and then I guess it just perpetuates my understanding then of how we as a society have gotten to where we are because of course like if kids feel like they can treat other people that way or ask those types of things it has to have right. a a starting point, right? Like it's not like they just up that way. And that's different. Still- and I think,
1: and, and and two, cause there was even a time in my life, cause like I said, I'm not like a main person. I didn't like picking fights, but I do think there was a time in my life where I kind of stopped being like, trying to be like the people's champ. And like, I would kind of like allow outside influences to like impact the way that I would, that I would treat others. And, and, you know, I was thinking like, okay, well people have made fun of me like I can give this person a pass for saying something to somebody else or you know like not hold my friends accountable in that regard and you know it it did get to a point where I was like that's not me and these aren't the people I want to be around so you know in order for me to like want to kind of start that cycle of changing because you know it's it's okay things happen to you now you're going to treat people the way people are treating you like it just keeps the cycle going and so you know it does it, it took a lot for me to be like okay this is going to stop here, like, y'all are not going to cross the line with other people, especially if we're going to be friends, Um, and, you know, that's when I became more, like, more, when I started honoring my true character, you know what I mean, because we had had asked about, like, whether the wittiness was part of my character, and it was, but I I, I do think, like, there was a time, like, I kind of fell off from being true and honoring myself, and then try to pick it back up, but I feel like there's a, there's a cycle where people don't pick it back up, where they just want to keep, you know, feeding harm and putting harm onto people who didn't harm them just because they have been harmed in the past. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, so the cycle of kids being mean, it has to stop with someone like, you know, I'm not going to push forward what someone has done to me or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I don't know what that looks, I don't know how that, what that looks like, but um Hopefully, my kids don't have to go through
0: it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I think too, like if they don't, if they don't have someone, or they don't even like get to that place of knowing, like you said, like you got to that place, and you were kind of falling out of who you were, and then you started, you at some point realized like I need to get back to that person. Like for you, and this also speaks to like these other people who you know are out here in the world. Like, how does one get back there? And for you, like, how did you get back to that place? Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, like if we don't have the right um, influences, if we're not in the right environments, if we are not coming across the right education or knowledge or experiences, then it is very hard to get back to this place of a deeper understanding of self. So for you, like, how did you get back on that path of this is who I really wanna be and I don't need to feed this, you know, negative monster over here just because someone else hurt me and then now I wanna do that to someone else?
1: Actually, that's a really good question. And I really wanna give a lot of credit to the women that I had in my life. Like my parents, they're still together, but my dad, you know, being in the military, he was deployed, like he did a number of different tours in Iraq, Afghanistan. So he wasn't home as often. Um, And so my mom, um she her and just because my grandmother lived with me um I had cousins who lived with us and you know it was really it was a house full of women and watching the way my mom and her sisters and my mom and like my grandmother the way they interact with each other it really they always operated out of a place of love you know Mm -hmm. and I think watching the women in my life love on each other love on me um it really kind of wanted me that's what I wanted to put out there you know like Mm -hmm. I'm you know, a loving person in the household, I'm filled with all this love. I shouldn't go into the world and not be putting out and exuding like that same type of love that I'm receiving at home because there are people who aren't receiving that kind of love at home. And so I really think um, loving other women and having other women love me like in my family, in my friendships, I think that really is what pushed me to be like, this is who I need to be 100% of the time is not exuding not exuding this hate or not exuding this negativity. It's exuding the love that I've shown and trying to show it to others. So I really think that's what really motivated me to become a better woman. So, you know, loving other women, being loved by other women 100% helped me get back on track.
0: (laughs) I think that's really beautiful. Um, And it sucks because I feel like there's so many women who don't get that, like experience, you know, and to have other women, you know, pour knowledge into them and be supportive to them and just, give them what they need to really unlock themselves because we know of course like the world is a vicious place and if you don't have that um it will literally swallow you up and so it's beautiful that you have that um pivotal point in your life to be able to have those people who can feed that information into you and then recognize like if i'm not taking what i'm learning here and putting it back into the world then like service, what yeah, yeah doing a disservice <laughs> to the world like what am yeah. I doing right so Absolutely. like for you when you think about these role models um that you've had what was it about their love like what was it about what they taught you that made you such a stronger woman the fact
1: that it was unconditional um which you know it's it's good in a lot of places to have unconditional love for people, you know, and I I try to operate in that sense, even sometimes to like my own detriment, but the way that my mom made sure I always 100% felt accepted, like, you know, I have, in terms of like, because I also, I'm I'm attracted to women, and so when I first told my mom that, and she was like this, she's like, I'm really glad you told me, but she was like, you didn't have to do this coming out thing because, you know, like, it's a big deal and a big process. And, you know, for her, she was like, I accept you regardless. She was like, you could have never told me and you just brought someone home and I would have not been fazed by it at all. And so my mom's love for me was unconditional, even when I was angry or even sometimes if I was mean to her or even, um, you know, if I just wasn't, I don't know, not necessarily being a daughter deserving of her love, but it's just, it was just so unconditional. And it was like that with the other women in my family, because my grandmother, who is super religious you know, I was raised Catholic and literally every morning, every night we're doing the rosary where, you know, we're, we're getting up to pray at six in the morning before we go to sleep, we're making sure like we pray, And so um, even my grandmother, when I came out to her, um, which is, which was really a kind of crazy way. Cause I just kind of introduced her to my girlfriend at my sister's graduation. Um, and my grandmother was like, I still love, like, I still love you. And for me, I just wasn't anticipating that because the trope is people who are super religious, they really don't, and you, and you see it, like they don't have the unconditional love for people that God tells you to have. Yeah. And so with my grandmother accepting me, um, and, and just seeing that, like, no matter what I do, whether I'm wrong, whether I'm in the right, their love is just going to be unconditional. I'm like, that is how i operate in the world. You know, I don't want to they say treat other people how you want to be treated of course but I'm, I'm going to do it even if people aren't going to reciprocate the way that i'm treating them even if people aren't going to reciprocate reciprocate the love i've been shown you're still going to get it you're still going to get the love regardless because that's how my family was to me when i sometimes when i didn't feel i was deserving or other times when i was acting out or when i was being mean it never changed the way that they that the way that they loved and cared for me and so that's how i really tried to exude that um you know, because like you said, some people, they're not getting the love that I was getting. They're not getting it. And so even if people are being mean to me or whatever the case may be, it's like, I'm not going to operate from a place of, hate. I'm going to try to operate really from that place of loving people unconditionally.
0: Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. And I think like, <laughs> that's really cool about your mom. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that many parents who are in to work from that point like you know like yeah bring home whoever and I'm gonna be totally fine and not and not even like have wanted to know that in advance and we and maybe that's my own ignorance about like the different types of people in the world but in my own experiences not this is not to say that like my my parents would have a problem with it but I from my grandparents I just can't imagine I know how they are in (laughs) religious aspect. Um, They're not Catholic (laughs) but they are Christian (laughs) and they are not I right.
1: was not out Absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy because my mom, and I think it's, I really think it's just kind of like a, kind of like just a cycle on her side of the family. Cause my mom was like, you know, we've always taken people in like when, cause my mom, she was born in Trinidad um, and they moved to Brooklyn when she was about like nine or 10. And even there, like when they didn't have like anything, you know, and like my grandmother was working nights as a nurse and um, you know, they were really just kind of taking care of each other, my mom and her siblings. Um, and of course my grandmother, but, you know, they, they had to operate, you know, when she was outside of the house and working, but um, they still try to take people in, like they, like if people need help, if people need somewhere to go, um, yeah. and so my mom, she's, like, just accepting of everyone, because she knows of everyone and everything, because she knows that not everybody has that same family dynamic, where mm-hmm. we can be open with each other, where we can be nice and laugh with each other, where we can love each other, where we can love the friends that are in their lives, and my mom, um, <laughs> she was, like, she's, favorite person ever but i just remember having a conversation with her because even as amazing as a mom that she was she still thinks like you know if if i could have done something like better like she's oh she's still always open to growing and becoming a better a better mom and she's like you know if you ever bring someone home and their family doesn't love them make sure they know that they can come here and it'll be love regardless you know if they don't feel comfortable being themselves if this is a person that you truly love and care about we're going to love and care about them the same way that you do so you know, it's just, I, I just really love seeing that. And even with my friends, because she's in Arizona right now, she's like, make sure your friends have my number in case they ever need somewhere to go. I'm like, mom, they're not going to go from Maryland to Arizona if they have not told at home, but I'll definitely give them your number. Let them know that you love them the way I love them. And, you know, if they ever do need a place to go, I guess I'll let them know you're always open
0: <laughs> to receive it. Well, that just speaks volumes to the family you come from, but especially about your mother. Like, I mean, that she would extend that type of love to someone that she may or may not have ever met. And that, you know, like they can take refuge in her space, even though she may not know them. Like, man, if only the world could take literally just a percentage of what your mom feels and gives away, we would be in a whole nother world.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that I, I completely agree. (laughs)
0: That's so crazy. So, okay. So now I want to ask you, since you said that you were raised Catholic, um, one, if I can ask you, is that, are you still practicing? Are you still a practicing Catholic?
1: I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I am still Christian. Um, so I do still practice in the Christian faith and, you know, fully believe in God and trust in God and, you know, rely on him when I don't have anyone
0: else. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what I wanted to ask you though, was like the, how do you feel about that intersection of like religion? And obviously in this case, like Catholicism um, and sexual identity and orientation, like, how do you feel you know for someone out there who is listening and just is really understanding where you're coming from like what could you say or what kind of support or just what kind of thoughts you know like do you have about that for someone who just wants to feel comfortable in their own skin but also wants to keep their faith close to them
1: um i think the biggest thing is establishing a relationship with God outside of other people outside of the church and not in a sense that we I'm not saying we don't need the church because I do believe people need community but once you're grounded in your own relationship with Him, like people like sometimes like I'll, I'll just like say like a quick prayer out loud like just about something that's going on yeah. and people look at me like I'm crazy because like I communicate with God as though me and him are like best friends and so I'll say some wild things to him like you know just just because of you know that is the relationship that i have established with him and so once i realized that my foundation is in a one on one relationship that is outside of what other people think like being able to operate in a sense where i don't feel insecure about my relationship with him about my relationship with myself um, knowing that he loves me regardless of what other people think or say that was the place i started operating from and so You know, because there was a point in time where, you know, I was maybe like the eighth or ninth grade where I kind of like fell out of the relationship with God just because I was being introduced to people who, you know, are thinking that the people, like the way I love is an abomination and all these other things. And when I really started, like, you know, I fell off, but then once I got back on it, once I actually started like reading like the word of God, once I started learning that the transcription of the bible that we have now isn't even the original transcript and some of the words that they put in there were chosen and done so um i guess strategically because the people who were translating it didn't want people to think certain things were okay so they said Mm. okay we're going to manipulate this in a way that while it's still true for the most part to what he said to what to what the Bible is supposed to be saying, mm-hmm. we're still going to do this to deter other certain actions, which includes like homosexuality. Because if you study in, you know, cause I have a lot of friends who are like theologists and all these things, but if you actually really study like the original word, it's so far removed from the version that we have now. Oh, wow.
0: Um, okay. That's new to me. I did not know that. Right. It's
1: And it's, it's crazy when you, when you really start like learning these things. And so for me, um, I'm like, there's, Nothing that someone, the way that someone else looks at me, looks at my relationship with God. I just really try to ignore it, I guess. Which I mean, it's hard, especially when you do want to surround yourself with community. But you know, you really just have to have that solid initial foundation. Um, and luckily for me, I have found a church where I feel very comfortable, um, 100% be myself. And so I think also that would be the next step is after you establish that relationship, find a church that would be willing um, to accept you. But a lot of the I don't know, some practicing Christians, I just don't think they're telling of um, a majority of people who practice Christianity in other religions, um, you know, and realizing that people are bigoted outside of the church, like it's, mm. they're not bigoted because of the Bible, they were, they were established that way in their home, that, because that goes back to my grandmother, who was raised heavily Catholic, I'm raised heavily, heavily Catholic, my mother raised heavily Catholic, but we don't, Practice bigotry in our home, so we're not going to exude that. That bigotry is not from the church; it's from the people who are who are practicing. You know, just keeping that mindset um, mm-hmm. really helps you to be more open to more open and accepting of church.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really important. What you just made mention of there, because I think that even for myself, sometimes like that is I align that kind of thought. Like if someone is in disagreement um, with with homosexuality and the people that, and what they choose and who they choose to love, like if they use like the Bible to support that theory in my head, I'm like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a religious thing, right? Like it's a, it's a Bible thing that, that goes along with this, this feeling that they have. And I've never thought about it in that manner that like those those thoughts and feelings, those biases have to be perpetuated within the home for them to 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 support the information that they're getting with the Bible versus exactly. it's like being the Bible saying that this is the thing. And then them being like, okay, so now we should act this certain way as a result of what we're reading.
1: A hundred percent. And it's, you see, it's it's interesting because um, law, you realize it's kind of like that in terms of like judges, they'll reach a conclusion and then they'll use the law to try to back that conclusion. Like they know what they want the outcome of the case to be and they'll manipulate the law in a way that supports it. It's the same, same way with the Bible. People have already established a way that they feel about black people, the way they feel about gay people, the way they feel about women. And then they'll look for things to confirm what their biases already are. And like they'll go back and see, well, the Bible says this. So, you know, the way I'm feeling is correct. And it's like, okay, no, like it's, you should start with the word first as opposed to formulating your conclusion yeah. and then trying to manipulate the Bible to fit that conclusion, which is what happens on a regular basis.
0: Which is really scary then, cause it's like how, I mean, I know we're just two people in a room right now having a conversation, <laughs> but like how do, how do we, how do we change that type of thought process and teachings if so often it, it the supporting information comes from this book that everybody is reading and looking at and then you know they're telling the world that this is what it says, right like how do how do we unravel from that from all these years when religion has been a thing?
1: It's I think the biggest thing is about, I don't know if this is a real word, but deplatforming the people who have, such a large font, who have such a large base, such a large influence on the way that people are like reading and interpreting the word Mm -hmm. is we have to say as like a community as a whole, like as like, I don't even know like the world possibly, but there have to be more people who are saying that's not right, that's not true, that's not what the word says and Mm -hmm. taking these platforms away from these people because the biggest issue in the cycle of bigotry is that, the more it seems like the, the more bigoted things you have to say, mm-hmm. the more you're going to influence other people who might have already kind of had like a little inkling towards that or had a little feeling based on stereotypes, based on different biases. And we have to really work as a community to stop giving these people platforms and be platforming people who have these platforms and uplifting. And that's another thing, too, is that you see a lot of like these preachers, like even at smaller churches, but they haven't actually been to school for theology, they haven't like really studied. As opposed to, I felt like I had this calling, and I went and I did this, but didn't do like the other necessary steps. So, like I said, I have friends who have actually went to school for this, like have masters and PhDs yeah. in theology and learning, and and they're like, people are not preaching what it says, not preaching what the true history and meaning of the Bible and, under, and other religious texts as well. People, you know, they just. Take it and run with it and we have to start giving platforms to people who have really done the work and really done the studying and really know the word outside of what they've been influenced to think it means Ugh. i don't know i don't know the first step though but that's what <laughs> right? i think you should do <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm like i don't know how to make that happen because you know people love ignorance like i mean and i, I think that absolutely i don't know why that is like i think you know sometimes <laughs> it's just easier to believe in something that someone's saying then have to do the work, you know, to like learn what it is. I'm, you know, most people don't really want to do the work. Um, And I think that that's what makes it easier to have people who are in those, on those platforms um, and speaking about things that they don't have a lot of information about because those people who are typically following them are also the people who don't want to do the work either. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And then it's, again, it's just a cycle of people who don't know what they're talking about speaking as though what they're saying is true, you know? And I, one thing I do appreciate, especially like as like I'm growing, like and still like growing as a woman is I appreciate that now more people, like people more than ever, I think now are finally finding their voices. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to helping say like that is incorrect, you know? And one thing that kind of like, it, it bothers me sometimes that people are like, people are more sensitive these days than ever i think what's really taking place is the fact that people are finally finding the voice and finally finding the courage and the strength to hold people accountable for the things that they are saying especially if they're hurtful and um like being a black woman especially operating like in a legal field and in like a space where i'm you know i'm the minority on a number of different levels is using my voice to speak up in these rooms where people are preaching ignorance you know because sometimes it's harder and it's like it's scary sometimes even if you're like one of like four people in a room who have the courage to say the other 70 of y'all in like in this in this 1L classroom yeah. you guys are completely out of line for the thing that you were saying about this community and so I, I really do appreciate um that now more than ever especially especially women of color especially black women are finding the voices and the courage and the strength to be the people in those rooms saying hey 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 what this guy what this girl is saying is completely unacceptable, it's incorrect, yeah. it's not factual, it's not supported, you know, in, and even in religious spaces, you have to be doing the same thing, like, hey, that's not what the word says, you know, you have to really have that courage, and I think now more than ever, people do have that courage to yeah. really speak up.
0: I, um, that's a good point that you're making there, just think like about the fact that, <clears throat> like, everybody's, Quote, people feel like everybody's so sensitive um, and I like the way that you express that like it's not so much that people are being more sensitive it's that people are being more vocal and so yeah. like you guys people who used to feel that way or, or say those things now it's like well of course you feel like there's an issue because all these times you've been able to just kind of sit in silence or say your piece and then people get to then other people are sitting in silence as a result of what they hear um right. for fear of retaliation or you know having some sort of a an issue as a result of speaking up but now like you said people are being more vocal and i think that right. people while they recognize that there will be consequences or there's a chance for reprimand that my voice is the only thing i have and so i can't Absolutely. just be like Nah, you know, it's not a big deal, right? Because now we know, I also feel like now we know that there are more people who are willing to back up what is right because people are less interested in staying ignorant. And of course there are still people who want to and all of that, but like <laughs> for the most part, you know, like people want the right thing and they're willing to speak yeah. up about what is right and so now we know there are more people who are willing to support it so while all these other people are like uh, you know i don't want to be incorrect or politically correct and all these things it's like no just mm-hmm. be correct be accurate about what you say don't be stupid
1: <laughs> uh, yes 100 so right 100 <laughs> percent.
0: just like good god i actually um in preparing for this interview today i was doing a lot of like research on like Baltimore and just like the public schools and stuff like that. And um, I came across this this video um, that was they were interviewing the last slaves um, coming out of um, like pre-slavery or, or, or whatever the, the, the terminology would have been. And um, it was so interesting, like listening to them. And I bring this up because it's about the whole concept of like using your voices and all of that, because these, it was three people and one of them was 101 and one of them was 80, like 84. And she was, him and her were speaking about how, even though like people could now be free and they, you know, they had, um, changed all these laws per se, that at that point, none of them, the way they worded it was, we didn't know nothing. So we had no like, nothing to do like we couldn't do anything with this new world that we were living in and you know like a lot of times um when you talk to other other black individuals it's like well why didn't they just leave like why didn't they just go well the reality is it's like at that point in time the concept of like having a voice was so different it's like yes maybe now you have a voice but one nobody's probably listening and two i don't know (laughs) where i'm gonna go with the voice like that i have Mm -hmm. so i don't have this platform. And so tying it back into the concept of being able to use our voices now, like, I think that's also a huge part of it is that we're in this, this new wave, um, that I think has been happening for many, many years, you know, like it's way overdue, um, of people, but specifically Black individuals who are feeling like, I am tired of being quiet. Like I'm going to use what I have for myself because there are people who not even, you know, 60, 70 years ago, a uh, hundred years ago who didn't have that. And so it's like oh, right. now while we're in this place and we have more people, women and men, and just like, uh, like and all the, all the different things that like are having the opportunity to be able to be vocal about places yes. where they couldn't before. And I think it's a really beautiful thing, but I also think that it's such an uncharted territory um, that it's a little nerve wracking um, about where we'll go. <laughs>
1: it's especially because even within like our community as Black people, as Black women, we're not all still believing in still still believing in like one mission of yeah. um, of true. I don't know if equality is the right word, or if equity is the right word, but you know, it, it's, we're all, we're all being able to use our voices, but we're not using it to give the same message. You know, yeah. we have, and, and this is something that I've experienced so much in my life is black men telling me I'm black before I'm a woman or I'm black before I'm gay and having, you know, women telling me, you know, you're a woman first and that's what you should, you know, you should fight and argue for and You know, people not realizing that I'm not. Black one day and then a woman the next day and then gay the next day like I'm all three of these identities at the same time and one doesn't come before the other and so when I use my voice it's to uplift all three of these identities at the same time it's also to uplift other vulnerable communities whether it's the houseless population or people who are um, who are living with disabilities I'm using my voice because I want, I think all of these communities need to be given the same attention, need to be giving like these platforms, we need to be speaking about these issues all at the same time. And sometimes people who don't deal with so many different identities, don't understand the intersectionality of identities, they're like, no, we only should be talking about this right now. We can get to that later. We should only be talking about this. So even like you said, I just don't know. It is uncharted territory. Yeah. Because what messages are people listening to how are the messages even from people from minority communities how are those messages harmful to other to people who identify in other ways in their communities and how can we get on one accord you know in terms of wanting to uplift everybody you know it's completely uncharted because we could be in the same room believing in certain things that are similar but it's like I might hear you say something I'm like record scratch hold up like what was that (laughs) like it's always it's challenging. It's it's really challenging, like you said, and it's it is nerve wracking because who knows how it's going to develop and and yeah. what strife is going to come from that.
0: Exactly, but hopefully, just kind of like when we when we started, hopefully that those growing pains will produce something very positive. Like, and that's not mm-hmm. to say like we won't have to experience some you know tragedies or some very painful conversations as a result of going through it. But on the on the tail end of that, maybe something really great and amazing can come, come our way, right? And we don't have to keep, I think we're gonna always have to keep having the same kind of conversations, um, yeah, but absolutely. maybe they'll reach like new levels because there will be a deeper understanding. You know, like I think that, um, I can't even remember why, Was I think it may have it must have been George Floyd um, after the death of George Floyd when everybody wanted to read White Fragility. Oh yes, right and it was it was kind of like okay let's all like get into this and like try and do this thing and while. I really appreciated like the sentiment and everybody wanting to do it. And myself included, like I wanted to know more. Um, I joined a, a book club and the thing was, was that like, we started it out. We got, you know, how many ever chapters into it? And then of course, as usual, like people get busy, you know, or whatever and all these things. And um, I kept having this like feeling every time I would like, because we never got back to it, like we never like <laughs> I finished it. Well, wow. right, like yeah. I finished it, um, and oh, I goodness. think even a, a few of my other friends probably finished it too. I hope they did. Um, but it was kind of like this. I remember a part in the book where it was talking about like when things get difficult. When we talk about race, then it's easy to deflect and like move away from it. <laughs> and it was kind of like yeah. I feel like you guys. That's what we're. That's what we're doing. Listen literally. <laughs> You guys are living
1: out words of the (laughs) book as we speak. Right? (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So (laughs) it's like, okay, so we made this move, you know, and, and I think those were good, but it's like now we're gonna have to have all new conversations again. But, like, how far has the mark moved? You know, if we talk about um, like the riots on January 6th, like, that's also like a part of that same type of conversation because it's like everybody saw what happened and now everybody wants to have another conversation about like the potentials of like race and, um, and, potentially civil wars and like things like that. And, you know, like, how do we come together? And so I, it is my hopes that by way of having like conversations like this and, you know, coming into rooms together with people who are different than ourselves um, and from different ideologies, that while we'll Mm -hmm. probably still keep having the same kind of conversations, that it will be newly educated conversations and we will figure out how to like build on the last foundation that was created, I don't know. (laughs) Yes. Cause it's,
1: once you start losing momentum, it's, that's really when it's what you're talking about. It's like people had all this energy and all this momentum and all this, you know, drive and passion. And then you learn about, um, what, what is it called? Uh, ally fatigue and all these other things that started coming about because people were like losing steam and it's like, it's gonna still keep happening. And so while it's great that people do want to push the conversation forward, you know, there has to be some way to really build on the momentum, like, in the moment, and like you said, because we do all get busy, but um, especially people who do have the privilege of getting tired of this, and kind of getting bored, and being able to put the, like, okay, this was a cute little read for the first couple chapters, but <laughs> now I'm not interested in confronting the different things about myself that I'm learning while reading the, while, while I'm reading the book, the book is reading me, and I'm no longer interested in, in continuing that read, you know, and, and so it's, we have to find a, a like you said, more ways to build on the momentum of these conversations so that it's not always starting from like square one, you know, maybe pushing the block up a little bit, but, you know, just ha- having the conversation and not wanting to just stop it at that. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now we have to have them again. And now we have to have them again. And so that's right. have to find a way to build on the momentum of when the conversation starts.
0: We're going to get there. We will in all facets. You're going to get there. I really do believe (laughs) that. Now, I don't know if it will be in my lifetime. I would like to say that it would be. (laughs) I'm just going to go with it. (laughs) See what happens. So, okay. So now you were talking about earlier how um, your family is originally from Trinidad. um, And I did not know that. So that's very interesting to me. Do you have any sort of like specific Cultural influences that come from that um, heritage that you feel like influence your vision of woman.
1: Um, that's a great question, and because my mom's side they're Trinidadian, and on my dad's side they're actually Haitian. Okay. And so, while both both being like Caribbean countries, they have kind of different ideologies and like views. Um, like in my, on my dad's side, it's very much um, kind of like this kind of patriarchal idea. That like you know men run the house and you know they weren't as like affectionate on my dad's side and um, you know it's not that they didn't respect women or anything like that because there's very strong women on my dad's side as well um, but it's just it was a different dynamic and so seeing that mesh with this almost completely matriarchal part of my mom's side literally um, you know she had three sisters one brother um, and then me and my sister and then our cousins primarily were um, women as well. Uh, I, I think, and I'm not hundred percent sure if it's grounded in like the different cultures between, you know, being Haitian and Trinidadian, but I, I do strongly believe that, uh, like depending on the matriarchs in the family, I think is kind of ingrained culturally. And again, it might just be like my, my mom's family, especially because I haven't been able to like visit Trinidad yet, but they're very heavily matriarchal. And, you know, my great grandmother, um, you know, she was the matriarch of the family. And and I remember the day she died, which unfortunately was actually on my grandmother's birthday. It was crazy. Um, Like kind of feeling like that was like really a hit and a loss to the family. And so um, seeing them put my great grandmother on like such a high pedestal and now putting my grandmother on that pedestal and putting my mom on that pedestal, I do think it's, you know, culturally influenced. I do think them being Trinidadian, us being Trinidadian, I really do think having a matriarch being such a pivotal point of the family was um, really a reason why I was able to be surrounded by so many women who loved each other and loved on me in that same kind of way. I, I do think you had an influence
2: for sure.
0: Mm, very cool. I um, I don't personally know a <laughs> lot of my own um, like heritage um, in that regard, mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I, Like, I want to do, but I also don't want um, to do those like stupid DNA tests because I'm kind of like, what are you guys doing with my DNA once you have it? But anyway, (laughs) neither here nor there. Um, And so um, I always find it really cool to like hear about other people's um, lineage and heritage. And especially when it comes from um, that Caribbean influence, like Trinidad, just because the little bit that I do know about it, um, like, the that you are correct. I mean, obviously you're correct. I know, you know, (laughs) but in terms of the matriarch (laughs) matriarch part, um, you know, I think that that is something that we lose, we gain a lot of, but we lose a lot of um, in, the black culture and I think also just as women in general not like excluding being black just within the female culture like that's an important thing um and so it's nice to hear about things like that and just even having such a deep understanding about your about your own heritage so I'm glad that you're able to bring that in here um for you said that you haven't oh sorry Sorry, you go
1: (laughs) I was just sorry about that I was just gonna say it's interesting because like you know having like feeling like such a strong woman based on the matriarch. But then also on my dad's side, like, you know, Haiti is a, a revolutionary country um, just like in its like origin and in it's um, like really like come to fruition getting like their own autonomy. And it's interesting because like growing up, I, I, not that I didn't think my parents had like that revolutionary spirit, but it's like, you know, they did what they needed to do to like survive. Like, cause they, my dad was also from Brooklyn. And so, you know, doing what they needed to do to make a better life for their children like when I want to start learning more about my family because um, like on my dad's side, uh, my great grandfather, he was like exiled from Haiti because he was like a revolutionary and he, um, he actually there's actually there actually was a language system that he helped try to create in Haiti, which was, you know, a lot of people, you know, started trying to adopt it until like they had like a new government and all these other things. And so it's interesting that I have I think I have like that revolutionary spirit of like my Haitian side and then like that strong womanhood and you know, you know, that strong sense of like love and community, like from my Trinidadian side. So it's interesting to see how it's, you know, really impacted me and like the way that I present myself to the world. So yeah, I really, I really do love the two worlds that I come from.
0: Yeah. That seems like um on your on your father's side, like that leadership quality seems like that's just like embedded in your guys's family yeah,
1: absolutely yeah i think it is <laughs>
0: yeah. is your um this is like this little side note um is your sister very similar in that regard like in terms of like that strong like leadership type of like revolution take on the masses kind of um you know uh, characteristic
1: yeah she's definitely um coming into it more yeah um because it, it was interesting because we actually had a conversation. Uh, I think it was like around Thanksgiving time, um, just about how she, you know, how we always admired certain like leadership characteristics of each other. Even yeah. if personally we weren't looking at ourselves out. she actually used to live in uh, Maryland. Um, but she like really like takes charge of the spaces that she's in. Um, she's not shrinking herself. She's not trying to be... Um, like anyone like she you know she has such like this in this sense of individuality um, that I think is really unmatched and she's unabashed about it you know she's unashamed about it and um, you know she has those strong characteristics as well so I I do think it really is just like a bloodline type thing so you know I really you know want to take this time if my sister hears this let her know I admire her I love her and she's been you know really a the epitome of of a big sister to me so you know if she uh, listens to this, a new I artist, that. I have that little shout out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I love all that. <laughs> okay, so now. I wanna make a, just a, a little bit of a transition. So we were talking, I kind of threw in a little bit earlier about like having done this research about Baltimore. And I know that there were some current events for you that you've really been following. What, um, first tell us a little bit about what you've been following in terms of the current events. And I have some thoughts, like some some things that I've been looking at that I wanted to kind of probe, probe you a little bit about when you, once you tell us a little bit about it.
1: Sure thing, so Baltimore is one of, well, one of if not the only um city and jurisdiction in Maryland that really doesn't have like a sense of autonomy um it's actually and it's also at the same time which I don't think is by coincidence the have the heaviest like black population in the state and so when I say they don't have a sense of self-autonomy their um their education board is completely unelected officials Um, that's the only jurisdiction in Maryland that's like that Um, while some jurisdictions do have a couple unelected officials it's not completely where the citizens did not have any say in the governance of their school board. Um, in addition to that, like they also don't, like the state is in charge of, like their police departments, like it's not ran by like the county or like the city. And so that's another level of not, the, of the citizens of Baltimore not having any self autonomy. But one thing that's scary is that the state is trying to um, reopen Baltimore city schools um, in terms like making students go back, making teachers go back. And I, I do believe some are operating some teachers um, that I know have have been operating, like having to go into the school, but I don't think they brought the students back just yet. Um, But they're making like the biggest push to put this, to get get people back into these public schools. Um, And it's, again, I I don't think it's coincidental that that is, they have such a heavy uh, black and brown population in that city and they're trying to get people um, back, you know? And so it's, for me, it's scary. I have Baltimore City uh, teachers who are, I have friends who are teachers in Baltimore City, um, it's scary for like their students, it's scary to think about their families, especially a lot of the students, um, and I don't know like the actual statistics on this, so a lot might not be the good word, but you know a number of those students live in multi-generational, multi-generational households, so it's like you, you're going into school, you're possibly bringing COVID back um, to your mother, or your grandmother, or, you know, other people that live with you, and it's just, you know, it's something that I've been following because it's to me, it's just absurd, it's, it's just crazy that they, they, they wouldn't want to start about doing that, especially with these new variants that are like coming out about COVID. And so um, that's something that I've been following closely and um, you know, just trying to figure out in what ways I can a- assist in, in advocating on behalf of like, the teachers and
0: on behalf of the students. Yeah. So first help, um, help me and those listening understand a little bit more about what, does, what is problematic about in uh, having unelected officials, like and not having, like I understand the concept of not having like the democracy to be able to m- make certain changes. But help me understand, I because I don't think I even know anything. I don't know enough about school boards <laughs> to know anything about this. <laughs> so, like, what is it? What? Why does it matter that they're unelected officials? Um, it, it
1: matters because even if like, let's take it outside of the school board, which, you know, people don't really look at all the time as like a governing body. Okay. Like, let's say your city council, they, if they were completely unelected, if your mayor was unelected, if the, if your state senators and, um, you know, representatives, if they were all unelected, if they were just appointed by a different governing body, it would be scary, you know, because it's like, wait, wait, wait. The person who's supposed to be, who I want to be an advocate for me, isn't someone I get to put into power. You know, I don't get to, if I wasn't able to vote on my city council member, if I wasn't able to vote on my mayor, on my governor, on my president, things like that, um, you know, it would be scary. And people understand it in that sense, but the school board who is supposed to be um, a representation and advocating for the students in their jurisdiction, for um, their parents, for those teachers, if the people who are living in that city don't get to elect the people who are controlling their schools, it's, you know, people don't see it as scary as not having control of the city council, but it's like, you have people in place who are supposed to be represented, who are supposed to represent the people, but the people didn't put them in power. So, you know, it's scary, especially when it comes to education.
0: Okay. Now, how do they get in the, like, if nobody elects them, then how did they get there to begin with?
1: I'm pretty sure they're appointed and I would have to double check, but they're, I'm pretty sure they're appointed. Okay. Yeah. They, I'm, and I'm not sure if they're appointed by the city of Baltimore or if by the state, um, but I know that the people that, that are being governed by the school board, they have no say in getting those people onto that board.
0: Okay, so then that would mean like, so if I'm a parent in the Baltimore city um, area, I can't really, I have no say in what this board does or doesn't do because like, if the board makes a decision it's whatever they say it says goes. And if these are not people that I believe are supportive to my my views and ideologies and just like how right. um, to educate my children, then it's kind of just like, it's just up to them and it's whatever they right. want. Right, exactly. Okay. So that seems like that's not an effective system.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes, a hundred percent. Like there's is almost no recourse for, you know, the people of Baltimore, when, especially when it comes to education. And I also want to caveat, like, I'm not like an expert in this field, but again, because I have friends who this impacts, yeah. um, and even just like my care for like the, for the black community and for the community of Baltimore, especially going to school um, in the city is it's really, I
2: don't
1: know, It's to for me, it's, it's enraging, like, because it, it doesn't absolutely makes no sense. Like you said, it, it's concerning because the people of Baltimore don't have any recourse.
0: Yeah. And and as I understand it, even from, from what you sent me, as well as just as I'm as as I've been reading, um, Baltimore City has the highest population of um black and brown people. And so do you I, I guess this is more of like an opinionated kind of question, but like, you know, what would be the purpose of sending like those kids back to school and 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 these teachers back to school and not these and all these other schools get to kind of just like choose what they wanna do. Like for me, I just go straight to, it kind of feels like you're just trying to like kill us off and you don't really care about us.
1: (laughs) They don't, exactly, they don't care about, you know, especially on a state, on a statewide level because the other other county that's like a very high population of black people, like for years, and this is Prince George's County for years, Baltimore and Prince George's County we're both like the lowest um, ranked in terms of like education systems mm-hmm. in Maryland. And so it seems like it's very intentional taking resources away from those heavy black and brown communities, taking away the resources, like saying that money is going to go here because it's just so much drama, but yeah. it's, it's like not giving them the resources, not giving the students the resources and the teachers the resources they need to really succeed and be successful. And now here it's like you want to open back the schools in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. like it seems to me, it's, it seems very intentional, mm-hmm. um, very clearly evidently um, just another operation of systemic racism, um, because we know there's racism in, in the healthcare, we know it happens in the education. And I think Baltimore city right now is really trying to show its ass essentially like this, <laughs> like not even trying to cover the, not trying to cover up the, the systemic um, inequities that take place there, you know, so. Like that said, is just it, outrageous absolutely is it absolutely absolutely is
0: I was watching some of these um documentaries and just like videos and there was a there was a young girl who um she is at, at least at the time of the the video she was um she was a junior getting ready to become a senior and she was talking about how like the school that she went to or or goes to um how like in the wintertime doesn't have any like um, heating and so like you know they're all just yeah. like in class and these like cold ass rooms and something about the water and having like you can't drink certain water from certain floors because of like the lead or the mercury that's in the water and and then in the, the rest of this video she was just explaining like you know like essentially things that we already know like how can you expect kids to to become educated and be able to focus even on their education yeah. if you're putting them in an environment that is not even conducive <laughs> to the learning that you're asking them to do. And when I was they in learned. one of the other videos to like put those up against each other, I was seeing that it was talking about, this was from like two years ago and it was talking about how um, like statewide there were 35 schools in Maryland that like didn't meet um, a certain um, like educational standard like of, of whatever the the goals I guess are for the the state. And 23 mm-hmm. of those schools were in Baltimore City. And I was like, what? Like how, okay, right. so how do you guys have them so compacted? And especially in comparison to the, again, the little bit that I know about Baltimore and my research about how like um, Baltimore City was the, kind of like the, the growing hub of like the middle-class Black. So it's kind of like, wait, how did we go from yeah. this experience where we were really trying to like build up the culture and really, um, you know, create more for Black Americans to now, you have like predominantly um, these cities that are predominantly minority communities and they get nothing. <laughs> right, and, and that's, in again, like, I'm
1: not an expert, and I st- 100% need to still be doing more reading about it, but I know it was very intentional, like, yeah. because of what you said, like, being really, like, the hub of, like, successful, like, Black people,
2: yeah.
1: it, and I, again, I need to do more reading about it, but I just know it was intentional, like, on the, the Maryland state government, on, like, the state governance, governance, government of Maryland, like, I know it had an intentional impact, and I think federally, there was also another like a very intentional um, kind of like strict strategy to try to really tear the city down. Um, and again, I, I need to do my reading on it, but I, from the people I've talked to um, who are Baltimore city like residents and natives they' you know, they try to educate me like here and there. And it's it was all planned, you know, it's not like it just just happened, you know, it was very intentional on um, the government side to to do that to that city, so. Um, it's super unfortunate, and it, it is really um, one thing that like I really find like inspiring because there are some schools there, and just like the people that that come out of these schools are just like so incredibly intelligent, like because of different different schools, um, like because I know they have a couple all girls schools there. And there was like a one all all male school who was like integrated like a couple decades ago. And, you know, there's one that's like specific for like science and like technology and yeah. like all these things. And like, I, I have friends who come from these schools and just schools all throughout Baltimore. It's like, they're just so intelligent, like because yeah. they, they did the works. Like some of, the, some, some of them, they're telling me about the work that they have to do in their schools. And I'm like, I wasn't even learning any of that stuff until I got to college, you know what I mean? So right. it's very impressive that, even with like limited resources, um, the students that they that they produce. And, and again, I don't even think, um, I don't wanna sound like elitist here because I, I don't think you have to go to college. or You have to be super smart to be like a good product or whatever the case may be. But it's just so impressive to me, um, the people that I've met from that city and like their resilience and their mm-hmm. um, sense of community. I just, it's very impressive, so.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Wow. I just, I think it's important it when people like, you know, have, not have to persevere, but when people persevere through really difficult experiences, ju- just through adversity in general. Um, obviously, we've already talked a lot about that, just our both different experiences, but um, especially in something like that, when just your basic needs are not yeah. being met, right? And then still finding a way to persevere through that experience which is really, right. just the, it's the, the tale of the outliers, <laughs>
1: literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I think too, like it's important to, to really to, to recognize these stories and like honor those people. Yeah. But I, I think more, it's even more important to honor the people who don't get like the fairytale ending of you not know, having persevered, like to honor the people who are living in these spaces and then doing what they need to survive even if it's not what people's idea of success is, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, like and understanding that we cannot fault and condemn um, people who are living in poverty because it, it's not by choice. It's literally by force almost because the U.S. has the resources to invest in these communities and to house their houseless population, to to protect trans, to protect trans communities, to protect communities of people with disabilities. So to protect, um, know people who feel the need that they have to be engaged in gun violence and all these things we can't talk about those communities without talking about the role the American government plays and making sure that it festers in this way and continues to just be a cycle of you know whether it's violence or whether it's um like just death and all kinds of things you know it's there's a testament to the people who are unable to make it out and to know that there are still people who care about who care about them and want to fight for them even when their government
0: doesn't want to do the same, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I <deserve> the snaps. <laughs> um, okay, so as we're rounding down, I mm-hmm. want to know. There's a few things I want to know before we we wrap up. But I want my first thing <laughs> is is what do you feel like in your perspective? What could other women who are going to listen to this message today? What do you feel like one is the the most important thing that they can benefit from hearing from you today?
1: That is a great question. Um, I think the the one thing that they can really benefit is um, what I was talking about earlier, about really trying to operate in a place of love, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And that's not to say that there aren't things that make me angry. Like I said, like I I could rant all day about the failures of the American government when it comes to like its people, Um, but treating the people like in our everyday lives um, with like a sense of love and a sense of gratitude for like having and knowing them. Um, you know, and that starts with even if you're you're walking on the street and there is someone who's houseless not ignoring them, treating them as though they're still like a human being, like understanding that, you know, just because, especially for like the for black women who may be listening, black people who may be listening, um, or even just like just people who have different identities, understanding that you still have a sense of privilege um, and that the people who I guess, Hold on. What do what I want to say, understand that you have a sense of privilege and that you, you really need to still love on the people that you might be turning your nose up to, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I feel like I, that was kind of a roundabout way of saying what I wanted to say, but I just, I just think it's so important because um, even me, like I'm still trying to learn and unlearn some things every day, you know, I'm not perfect, but. I love myself and I love other people enough to know that I need to do this work in order to help as many people as
2: I can. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's (laughs) huge too. Um, Just to, if I can tack onto that, like we can't act as if we are better than anyone else. Like, you know, like everybody has some level of privilege. Doesn't matter who you are. Like, if you have breath in your lungs, you have privilege, right? Like, if you've got one working arm, you have privilege, right? Yes. Like there's it, it's yes. just, like, all these little things that I think a lot of people take for granted. And they're just like, oh, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. This is the standard. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like there's someone out there who doesn't have that thing. And it can yes. very easily be taken from you as well. So we all need to like act as if we're on the same playing field, even if we right. might not be in that, in that particular interaction. Mm-hmm um okay so the you know we always like to ask on this podcast um womanhood is it a journey or is it a destination in your opinion what is it
1: in my opinion you can't have one without the other I think that it has to be both because a journey always has a destination um and a destination always has a journey that took you there um so I I think like for me, I think I'm still on this journey of, you know, really loving and honoring myself, really loving and honoring the women around me. Um, and I'm so, I want to say it's a privilege that I um, love other women, like that I'm attracted to other women. I think it's a privilege to really be able to um, have a partner and honor her the way in which I honor myself, you know. And it's it's so easy and so organic and so natural to be able to do. Um, but like I said, it's. You, I'm still on this journey, you know, and, and making sure that I'm honoring the woman that I am, honoring the women that I come from, honoring the women in my family, honoring the women in my family who are no longer here and my ancestors. Um, but I do think there is a place that I'm going to get to that I'm gonna reach, you know, this destination of women and I have to, because that's the purpose of a journey and you can't get to the destination without it. That's so why I, I do think it's, I think it's well. Okay. You heard it here, people. It's both. It has to be. It's (laughs) impossible for it not to
2: be. That's why I I feel so strongly about it.
0: (laughs) So Felicia, um, before we let you go today, anything else you want to share with the listeners? Anything else you think that is important for them to hear from you? Um... Anything else? Anything? I, and the
1: thing that's crazy is I was—I have been thinking about this. Like before we came on, I was like, I know there's something else that I want to say, but I can't think of it right now. Um, I think I, I think I just want to leave like with, I guess, a couple like quotes that like really impact like the way I operate. Um, the first one is, if not you, then who? Um, if you like in your womanhood, you feel like you're able to impact in a certain kind of way, but you're afraid. Um, if you think like your dream is too big you're the only person in in your womanhood who's able to do what it is that you want to do if not you then who it'll it'll never happen unless you believe in yourself enough that it can happen yeah. um, and then secondly of course treat others the way you want to be treated I know it seems like that's the golden rule we've all been told this but um, I don't think we always completely operate in that sense especially when someone wrongs us we mm-hmm. were like okay well now we don't have to extend them any grace and we can just you know, we don't have to treat them how we want to be treated, but <laughs> exactly. But it's, you know, when you operate from a place of like unconditional love and that's not to, you know, not being dumb about it or not being whatever, like, you know, just making sure that even when you're wrong, not that it's you turn the other cheek, but you know that you can rise above that. Like you don't have to retaliate in certain kinds of ways and, you know, just treat others how you want to be treated a hundred percent of the time.
0: Okay. Any other quotes? Cause those are all good
1: no, those are, those are my top two that I try living with. And, you know, I just hope other people can try to do the same.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Well, Felicia, it has been absolutely wonderful having you on the podcast today. I know that people are going to get something out of this. Um, We went around and about a thousand times it feels like today, Um, but I have thoroughly enjoyed having you today. And I also in, in preparing for this, like I had never even thought about Baltimore like I had one friend in my lifetime who's lived over in that general direction and so Mm -hmm. for me it was really great like having the opportunity to even research about Baltimore because it has so much history that I've never even like thought about or even just even taken the time to be interested in and Right. Something kind of cool. And one of my things that I was reading, um, I didn't know that Tupac had like, went to school there. And I was yes. like, what? <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, I was is really like, dope. Thank you very much for just putting yourself in a place for me to learn more about something that's also important to you. So I very much appreciate just having you on here today and being able to do this. Um, to the listeners, thank you for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed today's journey of womanhood. Please join us for future episodes and stories about womanly adventures make contact with me on Instagram at honor redefined with your personal stories of womanhood, you can find honor redefined on anchor iTunes Google podcast and Spotify, if you would like to connect with our guests today which I know you will, you can find her information in the show's description. If you like this episode, you can help Honor Redefined reach a wider audience by sharing, liking, or following us on Instagram. I am your host, Ariana Williams, and this is Honor Redefined. Until next time, stay true and be you.